But I will say one thing for the Texas Capitol, and that is that it doesn't have any surface parking around it, which is more than like most state capitals. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. This is a Red Line Train 2 podcast. I'm your host, Connor Dunstan, and these are my co-hosts, Kyle Holland and Alex Fielder. Today we're talking about the great American cost snake, and specifically how it reared its ugly head in Austin. All this after the news. After years of construction and decades of anticipation, the MBTA has finally opened the brand new Medford branch of its Green Line light rail service. The 3.7-mile, five-station extension will put nearly 80% of the dense Boston suburb of Somerville and parts of Medford uh, within walking distance of a station and is expected to attract over 50,000 daily riders by the end of the decade. The new branch will be served by trains from the Green Line's E branch and will provide about a 20-minute ride into the heart of central Boston. Also, cost snake alert, uh, 4.7 miles for $2.3 billion, <laughs> including the Union Square branch. So this is a fully grade-separated metro, right? I mean, it is mostly grade-separated, but it runs two car light rail trains, so... <sighs> of um, yeah, there is no cost crisis in America in infrastructure <laughs> at all. Nope, not at all. We make things for reasonable prices through things like good contracting and building up institutional knowledge, which we do all the time. Mm -hmm. And ha definitely. Yep. Uh, as evidenced by such wonderful projects as the Second Avenue Subway and the San Jose Downtown BART Extension. Tunnel <laughs> <laughs> go burr. Yeah. That, very, so, very slowly and expensively, but it does go burr. Yeah, well, I mean, at least it doesn't cost a billion dollars a mile like the yeah. Austin, like the Austin <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yet. Yeah. I'm sure the 3rd yeah. Avenue subway will cost that much. Well, didn't we say that it was going to cost, like, anyway. How much was it That There's no 3rd <laughs> Avenue subway. This is Kyle's new, like, oh. catch-all for all expensive uh. transit projects. Oh, we are now, we're now doing costs for these tunneling projects in per-foot units, not per-mile <laughs> units. Because that is the most depressing thing I've heard today. <laughs> it's beyond obscene. It's like... At least you haven't gotten down to, like, inches yet, so I suppose that's something. Yet. What it's is, what did we say that the cost for the front-runner double-tracking was per track foot? Too bloody much. How much was it per track mile? Was it thirty? Track mile was thirty million. Yeah, is sixty million dollars. Five thousand six hundred foot. Yeah, it's not entirely unreasonable, I guess. I, I don't know. It's it it's shouldn't. Not it's like I am not. I am not thirty thousand dollars worth of track. That's all. I'm <laughs> it's not like solid gold. Well, and you don't even have like a tie okay, for foot. Okay, and the thing that confuses me so much about new frontrunner track is that. It's $60 million per, like, system mile, which is, you know, double-tracked. It's not even electrified. We built tracks for, like, 20... For the modern-day equivalent of 40... Uh, $42 million per track mile, and it has electrification and is, you know, only one track grade less than... Well, according to the occasionally inaccurate future frontrunner study, the electrification is supposed to cost, like, $2.5 million a mile, which isn't that bad. I don't know, man. It's just <laughs> Except they would have to do it, which is kind of a complete showstopper. Okay. So <laughs> the thing you do have to keep in mind with tracks versus front runner, tracks mostly goes down city streets as far as that is concerned, or state roads. So it's a whole lot cheaper to get the land. This is true. It also goes mostly down rail corridors. And it also most of the route mostly already pre-existing or mm. just needed upgrades. That's versus the we difference. have to do right of way expansion. Yeah. For I know. I know. It sucks. <sighs> 
<laughs> hey, you... I want it as much as the next guy. <laughs> Maybe you want we put more than I do. I love suburbs. I do. It's terrible. Yeah. We could just do the electric electricity tomorrow, though. Okay. This is very off topic for the news. But anyway, <laughs> cost snake bad. Figure out how to not make $500 million a mile a, co- a reasonable cost for light rail extension. And that is my big hot take of the day. Alex, do the cost snake sound. Hold oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot That's he was like eating That's funny. <laughs> That's a joke. I'm not doing it this time. So uh, as a foreword to all of the crap that I'm about to spew about, uh, we're doing another series, but this one is a bit different because every episode will be able to be viewed independently. I want to focus on what I think the most important issue in North American public transit is today, colon, cost. Uh, Every single rapid transit and quote, rapid, unquote, transit project (laughs) from the lowliest mixed traffic BRT to the highest capacity metro line is costing vastly more than it should, and I want to give some examples of how this might be constraining transit expansion on the continent and do a very long and painful episode, and probably a video, on why. Sound like a plan? Who was it on Twitter who said the American cost thing? I think that, oh, I have to do have to credit JR Urbane Network, which is a... Chinese transit Twitter account that <laughs> posts about like the 5,000 kilometers of metro they build daily there. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you to the JR Urbane Network if you are listening for the terminology of the American cost snake, which we will be using very much in the near future. Introducing our first episode in this wonderful series The American Cost Snake Attacks Austin, Texas. That is correct. So, Austin, Texas is the capital of everyone's favorite national embarrassment, the state of Texas. Laughter, please. <laughs> raffle, raffle, uh, raffle, get raffle. It, because Texas uh, is a terrible state run by terrible people. With a functioning power grid. <laughs> and a functioning <laughs> transportation system. <laughs> and um, Huge roads. Yeah, literally. I mean, the widest road in the world is the Katy Freeway in Houston, Texas. Oh, yeah, that one picture. So, it is one of the fastest-growing cities in the country, clocking a nearly 20% population growth in the last 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, The current population of Austin is about 964,000, and the metro area has just under 2.3 million souls. Regular or damned? (laughs) They live in Texas. What do you think? Right. (laughs) (laughs) What's interesting to me about these large, the, the super large Texas cities like San Antonio, Houston... Dallas, uh, Austin, and Fort Worth, compared to, like, western cities, like, they're a lot bigger, like, as relative to their suburbs. I just think that's interesting. Like, the city center is... Right, like, the city of Austin is 964,000 people. This Austin metropolitan area is 2.3 million people. Is this just a question of where city lines are drawn, or does this actually annexation. reflect in development? Annexation. Got it. Okay. There, you can, it's a lot easier to annex your suburbs in Texas. So the city lines are just in a different place because Texas has different laws. Yes. So the Austin city snake is eating the suburbs. That's snake? right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, when, you said Very the, based. when you said the city was bigger than most other cities, I was thinking the part of the metro area that's full of tall buildings was bigger. No, 
Uh, and it's also the reason that Austin is like one of the least dense large cities in the country. It's because it's <laughs> because got because unusually it keeps, large city limits. It keeps eating its suburbs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also like some nature preserves and stuff like Salt Lake City. So uh, that's cool. <laughs> reason why Salt well, Lake. Well, we we have like just sagebrush preserves. Yeah. Well, we own like half of a mountain and like a bunch of open swamps and stuff. But hey, the part of the city where people actually live is like six thousand people per square mile, which <laughs> is pretty dense for yeah. an American city. And we're not even trying that hard. No, we're really not. At all. No, <laughs> you could say not even en- not enough. That's right. Uh, so, like all Texan cities, it has a truly godless tangle of highways and freeways, snipping it to shreds. Although, unlike Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio, its contemporary large Texan cities, it has no downtown freeway loop, with only I-35 running along the eastern edge of downtown. Hey! Which is the freeway I was commenting earlier. Wow, it only has three lanes in each direction. That is so bizarre for Texas. So the downtown (laughs) freeways aren't too bad in the grand scheme of things. They are not too bad. Uh, Which contributes to Austin having some of the worst traffic in the country. Woo! Well, good thing we're going to talk about building transit in Austin. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and then also of note is that despite the extraordinary conservativeness of the politics that take place in Austin's Capitol building, Austin is known as a very progressive and, quote, quirky, unquote, place with a long history of supporting progressive projects and policies. This will become relevant later as it plays into the projects we are discussing. This explains the fact that we have projects to discuss. I mean, Fort Worth is a pretty conservative city, and they've kind of been doing some rail expansion lately. Oh, that's cool. I just mean the nature of the project, like, and also some of the weird things that they added to it. Gotcha. I shouldn't say weird. I should say... Quirky. Different. Hmm. Hashtag not like other transit project add-ons. That's right. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say about Austin? Um, yeah, oh yeah, keep Austin weird is kind of like a big thing there apparently from people I know from Austin. Every I know I, every I city when they do every that. like every other city in this country, like, you know, Seattle doesn't do that, but Portland does, Salt Lake City doesn't do that, Austin does, yada yada yada. Like like one in two cities in this country does that and I know, but like it's a thing. So what is an Austin and where did it come from? <sighs> uh, well it was the there's this whole, like, story about how Austin became the capital where basically they, like, fought a war with with another city in Texas to become the capital of the Texan Republic. Oh, when, that's kind of awesome. When that was an unfortunate thing that existed. Um, and then Texas became a state, and then they did a treason, and then they got their ass handed to them. And then now they're back in the Union, and... I mean, they're still doing a treason, but a different kind of treason, so... Texas quickly learned the rule of no backsies. Yeah, there is no take backsies for independence from the United States. Secession, <laughs> secession is constitutionally prohibited. Thank you, Supreme Court. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so like almost every American city of any note, Austin had a streetcar network that began service in 1875 with several horse and mule-drawn lines throughout the city. Woo! It's a pretty early adopter, actually. Like, if you think about it, because... 1875? Well, especially considering that Austin had seven hundred or 7,500 people at the time. That's, like, nothing. Most cities of 7,500 today don't have a bus, so... Okay, you can fit that in, like, a square mile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, you don't need... You can fit that in way under a square mile. <laughs> so you don't, you don't necessarily <laughs> need horse-drawn streetcars, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, good for them. Walk well, sheds a half mile. 
Walkshed's a half mile. Walkshed yeah. of the center of the square mile is uh, a half mile. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess that's technically true, isn't it? Interesting. You might have to go a little bit but smaller. But you can't walk to the whole city. So from you any do point need a in the city. Car. Yeah. All right. All right. One circulator. Yeah, well, the system continued to expand and electrification began in 1891 with five miles of trackage and powerhouse built. Yeah, if you can't tell Austin, it expanded a little bit by that point because otherwise the five miles of trackage would just have to be a little spiral to fit inside the <laughs> one square mile. Uh, so service and ridership, oh wait, yeah, declined throughout the early years of the 21st century after several mergers and buyouts, leading the eventual cessation of service in 1940. I cannot believe how many times we have told this story now. <laughs> it's it's the same everywhere, man. Like, we're like, hey, what year is it? It is, insert year in the late 1800s. <laughs> insert city is building a streetcar. It is, insert year in the early 1900s. Insert city is tearing out its streetcars. Man, it's, a, it's almost as if industrial progress brought us streetcars everywhere at the same time. And... All of them ran under the same model that had the same vulnerabilities to automobility and federal support for automobiles applies to the whole union. Interesting. And wars happened. Oh, yeah, and wars, too. Yeah. Yeah. Those darn wars. Uh, So the company that had been running the streetcars, the Austin Transit Company, very creative name, uh, renamed the city's oh wait, remained the city's public transit operator until contentious contract negotiations in 1969 and 1970 led to an all-out brawl between the city and its transit company over the next few years. Eventually, in 1973, Austin bought out the company and ran it as a municipal agency. Wow. I know. Like, <laughs> what a concept. Actually running public transit as a public service? Wow. The people want service. Well, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, voters from Austin and its suburbs voted in 1984 to create Capital Metro. As the socialism is taking (laughs) over the world because it was 1984, like the George Orwell book, 1984, where socialism takes over the world by a public Ah. transportation. (laughs) <laughs> well, Metro with a capital M. Let's go. Well, yeah, capital Metro um, would use a 1% sales tax to pay for the service throughout the region. And at this time, it was expected that the agency would soon be operating like rail lines, although no one had any idea of like how exactly long that would take. Yeah, because like the initial idea of capital Metro when it was formed is that well, let's look at the year for a second. What year is it? 1984. Guess who's building light rail? San Diego, Portland. The original cities are it's being... pretty early in we light built, rail. We just built a light rail, and it's freaking great. It's getting a whole ton of ridership. Everybody loves it. And so, like, all these mid-sized cities around the country are being like... Wow. Huh. And so, when Capital Metro was created, first of all, to take over all the bus operations, but, like... Sort of the main idea almost was like, this is going to be our light rail building agency. They're going to build Austin a light rail system. Like Portland has one and San Diego has one. That explains why they started out with like a whole 1% sales tax. Like that's a lot. a big sales tax for a transit agency. And for Texas. I know. Yeah. We don't have that much sales tax here. We only have 0.65% on the dollar. Yeah. Or cents on the dollar. We're running a full-fledged transit system for a huge metro area. Yeah, and I mean, Austin wasn't all that big back then. Like, let me look up the 
population in literally 1984. Like I can look Orwell. it up in 1980. All right, all right. <laughs> That's close enough. Oh, well, can we get 1980 and 1990? Yeah. So, oh, for the love of Pete. Pete who? Buddha Jake. <laughs> Okay, 1990 census had the Austin metropolitan area at 846,000, and the 2000 census had it at a million. So, like, 1984, there was maybe, like, 800,000 people. So we're running a system in a bigger service area with a lower sales tax. So they're, like, flush with cash. Yeah, they were kind of flush with cash. And they actually, um, by 2000, uh, they had, like, $120 just saved up for hopefully building a light rail system. $120 like they, million? Yeah, $120 million just, like, in the bank. <gasps> nice. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, just after all this, like, stuff had happened, like, you know, 15 years into their operating life, uh, Cap Metro had this wonderful thing called the corruption scandal, Uh-oh. which is always great for good. transit agencies. Yeah, Uh-oh. it never leads to anything bad. Um, and then the next year, there was this wonderful thing because in the year 2000, they're like, hey, let's build a 52-mile light rail With system. With the money we have. With the money we have, and also we're going to increase the sales tax because, you know, it doesn't cost $120 million to to build a 52-mile light rail system. Unfortunately. Never has. I mean, maybe in San Diego the first time. It's like 5 million a mile, but that's never happening ever again anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's like, it's a great project, right? It's going to be on the densest areas of the city, on the densest corridor. We have these great places we can expand it from. We just bought this railway with a city, like this Mm -hmm. whole 136-mile railway with a city, like in preparation to build this light rail line, and the feds really want to pay for it. Like, if we do this, we're actually going to get bumped ahead of all these other projects in rail funding. Like, for example, Salt Lake City Ooh. may have been, may have had some of our future. Like, the university line may have got bumped by this. Yeah, if it had been built. Ooh, so, that's been a really good project. Yeah, it was a real good project. Like, they, it was very exciting. And it failed by 2,000 votes. Like, 2,000 heart votes? Heart-wrenchingly close. 2,000 votes. I'm guessing a lot oh, of this geez. is related to the corruption scandals. Possibly that, um, and then also suburban voters who are in Cap Metro's district voted more to, like, barely more to vote it down, and then... Austinites in the actual city voted barely more to like make it happen, <sighs> so it was real close, but it failed, and um, yeah, it's not great. Um, they've actually built a BRT light line along the uh, along the corridor that would have been served by this <sighs> originally. So do, close. Do they still own the rails? They do still own the rails. So one day maybe. One day maybe, and already. But we'll get to that. Okay. Um, yeah. So that was bad, and like, if you had, will, derailed the whole thing. Well, and in the city of Austin itself, it passed by a relatively wide margin. Like we're talking uh-huh. like fifty-four percent, mm-hmm. which isn't great, but not terrible. And then, yeah. So a lot of advocates were kind of like, oh, because it had been like a big campaign in the city. Like their slogan was "Light Rail Now." Which uh, not in 30 years. <laughs> not in, well, 30 years is a little generous at this point. But, um, yeah, so it was a big shock, especially since 
most of the time, transit ballots pass. Like, the, this is one of the two big transit ballots that have not passed. The other one was the... The Portland one? The Seattle Metro. Oh, right. Was this and the, the more recession recent one? Portland one. This was in 2000. Well, the Portland one was the recession one, like the COVID recession. Yeah. But this was in 2000, so who's, who's, on, the tic- who's on the top of the ticket in 2000? Who's running for president of the United States? Bush. Bush, George W. Bush, and the Republican Party is at the top of the ticket, and it's going to sweep the elections. So this is not only, like, you know, barely failing because of the suburbs. It's also in, like, a markedly conservative year in politics. And the corruption scandals. And the corruption (laughs) scandals, and, yeah. So if those other stars of the um, national conservative thing and the, the corruption scandals hadn't aligned, then this probably would have just passed. Just fine. So, um, yeah, so that was like a big shock. But four years later, they came back. This is another Bush year, but a less Bush year. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And when Cat Metro put a very scaled down version of the original plan to a vote in 2004, it passed. And after years of construction, delays, and then issues with the track, the red line began running in 2010. It was not really a huge success. Well, so did they just scale it down because they knew it This is a whole different project at this point. But yes, they scaled it down because, first of all, they knew it would pass. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want to have to raise taxes because they thought that might have been the thing that got the original ballot defeated. Uh Mm -hmm. So this project was meant to be like within the cost of their like slush fund that they had. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, does this say diesel? Yeah, we'll we'll get to it, but <laughs> but like we said, like I said, it's not a huge success. So, the red line, which isn't called the red line, but it will become the red line once the project we're talking about today is finished. Uh, it's called Metro Rail currently, even though it isn't is that name certainly taken? it is certainly not a metro in any way, shape, or form. Does it have rails? Yes, that's good. So it's it's only half lying. Um, <laughs> And it's kind of one of those weird lines that's very hard to define. Uh, The National Transit Database defines it as, quote, hybrid rail, unquote. And I think that's about right. That's a very kind way of saying not very good. (laughs) Yeah, so it's about 32 miles long. It runs from downtown Austin to the suburb of Leander by this, like, weird kind of... Because it curves to the west, or to the east, right? And then it goes north, then it goes back east, past where it originally started, and then goes north again. What? It, it's kind of a weird alignment, because it's on this this old railway that they bought. And they were trying to scrounge what they can with the single try, line. We're going to get what we can out of this. Yeah, that's the idea. Um, so there are nine stations, and it takes just over an hour to complete the full run. So... You know, it's pretty miles fast, in an hour. Yeah, it's that's normal for light rail. Yeah, it's not slower because it's diesel. Think of the station spacing on this. Like that's at least three miles between stations oh, normally, yeah. so it probably oh. should be a little bit faster than that. But yeah. it's diesel. It runs these um, Stadler GCWs, which are diesel LRVs, basically. <sighs> so it's diesel. it runs like oil. a commuter rail. It has half-hourly peak directional service and hourly midday service, and then some trips during peak periods don't continue all the way to the end of the line. Uh, <laughs> um, the span of service isn't great. Uh, the last outbound trip left 
30 minutes ago. So that would be 721 local time. Ooh. Yeah. I think our 11 o'clock's bad. So this is is just not very good commuter rail. Yeah, uh, basically it's a commuter rail line using light rail vehicles that Cap Metro likes to call urban rail for some reason. So we don't have dense stations, we don't have high frequency, and the speed is like fine, I guess. Uh, was the was making it diesel just a way to reduce the cost? Overhead wires do cost money. Okay. Increase operating costs, of course, but we don't ever think about the future in this country, so... <laughs> <laughs> Alright, give me the big, ugly ridership number. Uh, so all of this may contribute to its relatively low ridership. The Capital Metro Rail, or Red Line, carried just under 3,000 riders per day pre-pandemic. How Ooh. many is that per mile? Not good. Like, a hun- under 100. Isn't benchmark, <laughs> like, one or 2,000? For light rail, yeah. For commuter rail, you can expect a lot less. But Right, I thought this was supposed to originally be some variation in the light rail plan. Sort of, trademark. <laughs> um, oh, that's insane. Yeah, but I mean, given the level of service, it's kind of to be expected because it really is, like, A, only useful for accessing downtown Denver from a very specific set of suburbs with bad connecting bus service. Downtown Austin? Uh Uh-huh. You said Denver. Oh, sorry. Downtown Austin. I'm sorry. I must have been thinking of RTD, which is also terrible and deserves (laughs) to be destroyed. Um, (laughs) No, but it's, it's not great. So maybe if they electrified and uh, ran frequency and then maybe did some infill Well, part of the line. problem is the alignment itself because it doesn't hit any of Austin's densest areas, really. Then why'd they build it there? Because it doesn't hit any of Austin's densest areas, so it costs no money to build. But why? Because they felt sad that their big train project, which, by the way... And I want to get this out here before, like, we get on to the obscene numbers of the next project we're going to talk about. The original 52-mile light rail plan would have cost $1.8 billion. Is that today's dollars or $2,000? That's $2,000. Okay. That's a lot. 52 miles? Think about the CPM on that. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of miles, too. Yeah. So <laughs> we're talking $35 millions per mile, which is Salt Lake City. That's- That's time period appropriate and pretty darn cost effective. Good. Yes. Uh, And it should be noted that this thing costs basically nothing per mile because they didn't actually replace the track. It (laughs) mostly just runs on the old freight track. (laughs) Which also may contribute to its relatively poor speed. (laughs) I kind of forgot to mention that. So how much did this cost? Because maybe it's not Uh, $105 million. Okay, maybe it's not that bad if it okay, costs... Okay, right? Yeah, you get what right, you're right, right. Right. I'm yeah. saying... Like, Connor, that's like $3 million a mile. Yeah, well... <laughs> you can't pave a street for that amount of money. <laughs> well, but to be fair, the tracks were already there. So, well, okay. what would have stopped them from just doing this in the dense areas using the same tracks? Because the tracks don't go through the dense areas. Oh, yeah, just the corridor. Classic. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah... So it's kind of a shattered ghost of what should have been, uh, but it seems to have galvanized many advocates in Austin to keep working over the long 20-year gap between their first failure and now. Hey, $3 million a mile. Maybe I I should retract most of my earlier complaints. Uh, It still sucks, man, because they didn't actually spend any money on track. All they spent money on is stations and on 
vehicles, and that's it. RVs. Yeah. It's like literally, if we were to take like just the Union Pacific tracks to Logan <laughs> and stick a diesel light rail vehicle on it and call it a front runner extension. I, I would take, or just put a regular no, front runner. I would be very yeah, happy very about good, that. Put a regular front runner vehicle on it. I don't it. know no if those problems. tracks could take a regular front runner nah, vehicle's yeah. weight. <laughs> I, I bet they could. I know they, they should be able to, right? It's, it's not It's not that different from no, like UP stuff. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> uh, I vote we do that to yesterday. <laughs> we could. I mean, we'd have to We'd have to run it as a shuttle service because UTA and UPPTC are not compatible. It wasn't one of the points of PTC was that it had to be compatible. Wasn't we that had like a this federal discussion the other day, Kyle. Wasn't that like a federal requirement that they're somehow that they magically waived, compatible? That they waived for various agencies that had no money, like, for example, the Utah Transit Authority, which was just riddled from debt from the state, forcing it to take on all the debt of its rail expansion. So they waived it. Now we have wish. And we also PTC don't have proper PTC. We just have computer controlled cab signals. So anyway, we got wish.com PTC we have wish. that doesn't PTC. work with anybody else. Anyway, moving on. Uh, so yeah, basically this was their like sad like consolation prize for not getting their big train is that they get the lame little train instead so they can feel a little better about themselves. It still sounds kind of cool. I kind of want to go honest, ride it. It sounds kind of awesome. Uh, it does, and I really want to go ride it. So. At least our front runner has new track and ridership. That is true. <laughs> and goes in a straight Although line. Although per mile ridership on front runner, oh, is definitely better. Never mind. <laughs> easily, <laughs> easily. Yeah. It was better on the worst day of the pandemic than it was during their best day. So. It also goes in a straight line. Yeah, it does go in a straight line. That is helpful. <laughs> uh, so, recently, Austin and. Capital Metro have done this wonderful thing where they put a new proposal on the on the ballot. Ooh. Wow. So it seems that they kind of never stopped dreaming about it because Proposition A appeared on Austinites ballots in the 2020 election. Did it pass? Did it pass? Did it pass? Did it pass? We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. So what it promised... Two new light rail lines running through a subway in downtown, one of which would connect to the airport. Mm -hmm. A new commuter rail line, which would be the green line, similar to the existing red line, but this time it would run in a straight line to the east, so probably an improvement. (laughs) Uh, Four new BRT lines to fill out the city's improved transportation network, uh, one of which was expected to be taken over by light rail service in the near future. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also increased and improved bus service, expanded access to bike share, and here's where we're going to get into the weirdest part of the project for me, because this is sort of highlighting Austin trying to be progressive. Uh-huh. Uh, the project contains a $300 million package to prevent displacement because people think that building trains means gentrification, ergo, et cetera, et cetera. Interesting. So, so they're going to spend $300 million along the course of the rail lines to make sure people who are living there can stay living there if rent increases. Okay. Seems like an interesting solution, but... Okay. Uh, that, that is subsidizing demand to an extent, but you know, whatever. It's it, what, it's what certainly it is certainly a very well intentioned policy. If yeah. it makes it happen, that sounds good. <laughs> you want the square? Okay. Or the hexagon? <laughs> yeah. What is the gun? Are they also gonna like aggressively upzone around stations to you know meet demand with supply? Sure, hope so. Um, we'll see. 
So the cost of this seven point one billion dollars scale yeah right scaled back from an earlier ten billion dollar proposal Oof. which would have built that bus line the BRT line that's going to be converted like quickly that would have made that just a white rail line in the first place. Mm, why build things once when you can build them twice? My favorite <laughs> saying. Thank you. Uh, and the feds offered to pay for half of the project. All right. Okay. So nice. the rest would be paid for through an increase in property taxes. So maybe they should have kept the $10 billion because $5 billion in federal funding is not something to, sh- you know, thumb your nose at. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Okay, well, so what? what's the fate of this? So, I mean, let's, let's look at the map here for a second. Kyle, come over here. So this is what it would have got them, the original $10 billion proposal. So we got the existing red line, that already exists. We got the new green line, which is a straight line out to the east and north, sort of. Gee, that red line looks so bad. I know, it's weird, right? It cur- The da- starts in downtown, it curves around, and it goes up here. It's weird. <laughs> um, but what I really like about it is it's very connectivity-focused. Like... If you see all of these little gray lines, there's a lot of connectivity in the outer sections here, especially like in the densest parts of the city of Austin, which are all here on this sort of north side of the river. Then you see all these new BRT lines and stuff to connect like where the gaps are and then light rail along the densest corridor and through downtown and to the airport. It's great. So that's kind of And they've made good use of the existing red line. It's kind of like a little ring connector. Right, right. Like this would, the network effect that this would have on the red line would be immense. So is this a Especially since they're adding infill stations on the red line here and here. And they can increase frequency, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Fingers fingers crossed. Still diesel? Still diesel. Okay. Okay, yeah, because then... (laughs) There's no point to throw out the perfectly nice rail vehicle when you already have them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you'd probably be spending as much as you would on a new line, putting in new tracks and electricity poles and new vehicles. At least if they get more riders, they'll be more efficient. That's right. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a good project. I mean, that's a lot of money for what they're getting, but it's still a good project, right? Yeah. Yeah, and... and And, uh, and Alex is making a very excited noise over here uh, <laughs> because, and this time, it passed by 17% margin. Yay. That's a pretty good margin. That's a very good margin. Yeah. Especially with how much it costs. And it c- includes the suburbs as well. So. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, it was going to be funded by a um, property tax increase too, which is traditionally very hard to get people to vote for. That yeah, because the people with the people, property yeah. don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> and they're the most likely to vote. <laughs> Good project overall. I mean, still so expensive, and we'll get into why later. But good project. Unfortunately, since the proposition passed two years ago, things have not gone to plan. I was going to hope construction was well underway and we now have a new tunnel. <laughs> so for some godless reason... The cost of the light rail portion has ballooned to over $10 billion from its initial $5.8 billion investment. The cost is particularly steep on the downtown tunnel, which was originally going to be $2 billion for 1.6 miles, which is problematic in itself, and we'll talk about that. But now it's going to be $4.1 billion for 4.1 miles. Okay, why did the tunnel get longer? We'll talk about that, too. And Um, are we doing, like, deep bore or something? Why did we choose the most expensive grade separation We'll talk about that, too. Uh, (laughs) And they somehow managed to triple real estate costs on outer stations, which is not great. How? Parking rides, probably, (laughs) if we're being honest. Well, maybe (laughs) to save money, they could cut the parking lots. 
Yeah, I think that'd be a good idea. I, I couldn't figure out why the real estate cost has gone up so much for stations because it that's the real estate cost. Like, I don't know about them, but we do our stations entirely in And it's corridor. also possible that they're having to do some road widenings as part of this to satisfy Texas DOT. Maybe Texas DOT Ooh. should pay for the road widenings because their that roads could be that they're so touchy about. The real estate cost. So the cost of this project was not great in the first place. Uh, $5.8 billion for 32 miles is a lot of money for light rail, even with a downtown tunnel. Um, also, $2 billion for a 1.6-mile tunnel is obscene, absurd, and how did you manage that? How is it so bad? Well, the reason is um, they wanted to make their downtown tunnel something real special, and I mean that in a good way. I'm being completely like that they were like they wanted to do these super cool like concourses with shopping and with like residential built above it so and they all this to stuff mine out underground and concourses. bougie yeah wow. and so these stations were just going to be enormous and there's like three of them and they were each going to cost just a huge amount to build and they're still planning on doing those of course just now they're doing more of them maybe <laughs> they should so they in so. my completely uninformed opinion maybe they should have an underground platform with, you know, escalators and crap to get out of it, Look, going to a regular building that is the station hall. The idea shopping. is that this is one of the big problems with American transit planning today, and we're going to talk about this. We are getting so obsessed with building these super huge expensive stations, and it is costing us huge amounts of money. Like, it is better to build a very simple station and you can improve on it later if you want to. Like, focus on your ability to move large volumes of passengers. Right. And high frequencies of trains. Like, oh, let's look at the rendering here uh, so of far, their station. It just sounds like Texas just wanting to be bigger and bigger better than better. everyone. That is true, and it would be, you know. Okay, so let's... Kyle, come over here. Okay. But this... Is their rendering of what the station? They want to like. dig this out underground. This was going to be underground. That's obscene. Right, and so I mean, platform screen doors are undeniably bad. Oh yeah, very good. But like, look at this crap. Okay, bring the ceiling down halfway. We don't need this much circulation space. More escalators. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, how many people do they think are going to be in these stations that they need this much space? Is the my question. The function of the station should be to get people out of the trains and above the ground as quickly and smoothly as possible. That's right. So, it's not ideal. It looks nice. It's though. very nice. It looks yeah. like a bougie shopping mall is what it looks like. And if they could have kept the cost of the original thing, I probably would have accepted the cost just because they're going to have such nice stations. Like, honestly, uh -huh. this might be worth it, especially considering that they're planning to run really high frequencies through this because they were going to be running three lines at 10 minutes each through it eventually. Ooh, very nice, very I, nice. I really like the rendering of the woman throwing her water bottle out the platform screen door. I think that's a bag. Well, she has enough of bag, so... Oh, I don't know what that is. Then you might be right. <laughs> Interesting. And then how uh, this stroller is kind of like a kimbo <laughs> to the ground a little bit. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's a good rendering. Um, so, big money. And, like, you shouldn't be spending $5.8 billion. Like, even with the fancy stations, you probably shouldn't be spending $2 billion on one-and-a-half-ish miles of underground track. So are they going to be strategic with the funding they have and build the functional parts of the rail system and maybe worry about the fancy parts later? Like the park and rides I and the underground I sure stations? hope so. I sure hope so because, well, first of all, let's talk about why the tunnel has to be expanded. So Austin is a state capital. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And because Texas thinks it's the shit, <laughs> they have sightline regulations like Washington, D.C. What does that mean? In Washington, D.C., buildings are not allowed to be above a certain height in certain areas to avoid obstructing views of the Capitol and the Washington Monument. Ugh. Austin has similar regulations against obstructing views of the Texas State Capitol from any part of the city, which is why some of their buildings downtown look so weird. And how would a train on the surface cause a problem here? The issue was that the original portals for the light rail that where it was going to come out of the tunnel and back onto the, you know, uh-huh. onto ground level, were going to have the catenary poles within the sightline preservation areas. So by sightline, we don't just mean you can see the building, but you have like a perfect, there perfectly clear photograph. There is nothing there except maybe a tree. So oh, geez. this and, and... Why do these regulations apply like so close to the ground? Like if a semi-truck drove past, it would block the same area but worse. It blocks more, yeah. It blocks significantly you more. You think the Texas government wants this to happen? Like, I, w- I would think within your normal, like, 16-foot road clearance or whatever, nobody cares. You think that the Texas government wants this to happen? No, because it's not cars. That's right. So they sort of, and I hate to say this because, you know, it's they sort of intentionally weaponize this regulation against this project. <sighs> <laughs> So that's nice. That and they had to extend the tunnel on one area because hydrological and geological reasons. All right, that's Fair. exciting. <laughs> and yeah, it's kind of the Texas state government's fault. Are they going to make up the extra cost? Of course not. Texas state government build an extra two and a half miles of tunnel. Also, Texas state government. Bye. Yeah, and I should note to any Austinites listening to this, I think that's the denim. Uh huh. Sounds um, right. That is not the only reason that the tunnels had to be extended. There are other reasons that they did that. But the tunnels have now been extended. And there's going to be more of these really, really expensive and extravagant underground stations. Yeah. And so now the lovely thing is because Cat Metro recognizes that it is very difficult to pull off a second tax increase for a project that voters already voted for a tax increase on. Yep. Uh, as RTD has learned. <laughs> Did um, they try and do that? Yeah. Did it work? No. Um, <laughs> so when voters paid for this project, they expected, like, we're going to pay this much, we're going to get this out of it. That's how most transactions yep. work. And so now they're like, okay, well, we're going to try and build what we have with... We, we're going to try and build what we can with the money that we have. So maybe we're... Now they're studying maybe doing elevated through downtown, but that would be really difficult because of the sight lines, and they're studying service running through downtown, which would also be difficult because traffic is terrible because they have these massive streets, and that would limit the length of their trains because they were planning to run these, like, two-car long, you know, sets. So it's a bit of a problem. I mean, if it weren't for all the sticky, politicky stuff, I I would just say shorten the tunnel, make the underground stations simple and functional and cut down on park and rides on the outlying stations to help with well, real estate costs. Yeah, well, and, and the other thing pay for road expansion. The other thing that they're doing is they're cutting back outlying sections of the orange line in particular, which is the one that kind of serves the densest corridor in the city. They're cutting those back because they really want that airport train. Every city wants an airport yeah. train. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to cut that back. But we can cut back these like two or three stations on each end of the orange line and then build the rest later, hopefully. <sighs> Fingers crossed. So why don't they just do like one of their big mall tunnels? 
and just be like, this is a Texas Memorial um, <laughs> Herbert, whatever. The Texas Memorial <laughs> Herbert Tunnel. And then make all the regular ones regular. Yeah. Yeah. And then just have those be, like, named after less important people. I don't know. And, you know, like... <sighs> They're giving downtown this tunnels is, a bad name. This is why I always have said, and you remember, and anyone who's listened to the Ram episode will remember this, tunnels are evil and bad. Tunnels are the worst. Like, keep them away from your transit system with, like, a 60-foot pole because otherwise they will turn it into a $10 billion project. Is this, is this because of projects like this that you feel that way? That in the United States, for some reason, anytime you get a tunnel involved in a project in any way, it becomes four billion times more expensive. I don't get why this is so hard. Like, do some like London tube style tunnels where you have to get like custom sh- circular shaped trains that <laughs> barely fit in the tunnel, and then do like the little platforms with the super long escalators. Yeah. Or well, that's what the, how the Washington Metro was built, Kyle. And it works. I mean, mostly. Cool. Yeah. Well, so just keep trains on on the ground, not under it. Keep them or on off. the ground or under it and cut and cover because I'm pretty yeah. sure they're planning to do a board tunnel for this. And <sighs> wait, if they're doing giant like shopping malls, wouldn't cut and cover make even more sense Sta- than mining stations, out underground? Stations are always cut and cover. Oh, okay. That's good. Stations are always cut and cover. It depends. The tunnel is not. So, like, the space between stations will Are be tunneled, but you always have Ave- to... Aren't the stations on the 2nd Avenue subway mined because they're so deep? <laughs> Speaking of tunnel costs and ballooning... Wow, I wonder what we're talking about next episode. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Austin, I am desperately hoping that Cat Metro leaders make the right decision to make the stations as simple as possible to reduce costs mm-hmm. so that they can continue to have... Because, you know, more tunnel is better. I yes. will say, mm-hmm. like, this if you can true. get more tunnel, I'll take more tunnel. Speed, frequency. But also, I don't want, like, outlying areas, which, you know, with the suburbanization of poverty, there are increasingly more people with less money living in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. I also don't want outlying areas to suffer as a result of that. <sighs> so I hope, I'm really hoping that they can figure out a way to make this work because it's a good project, as I said. This sounds good. Even if it costs, you know, like, it's going to cost now, like, $300 million a mile. Which is absolutely beyond obscene. For a light rail train. I would like to remind people that this is a light rail, which is going to be running at 10-minute frequencies. At grade, with grade crossings. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Not the RAM, which costs, you know, let's see, it was 186 per kilometer, so that's under the cost of this. Yeah, and has... Spot grid separation, so it's functionally fully grid separated. And is automated, right? And yeah. is automated and ru- is going to be running like two minute frequency in the downtown. The cost snake. Yeah, so this is this is why I am so concerned about the great American cost snake because whether or not it costs however much it costs, these things need to be built. But with current political realities, the less they cost, the more we can build because... If Austin had built those 52 miles of light rail in 2000 for today's dollars, like $3 billion, let's say, they would have more light rail than they're going to get now, and it would already exist. For <laughs> way less money. For way less money. And even though they'd probably have street running downtown, it's still better so than what? nothing. So what? Every American city and their mom has street running downtown. It's fine. 
Like, and they could use the. It sucks a little for regional trips, especially in like Portland, where <laughs> their downtown mall hey, is just so Portland. slow. Hey, um, Portland's fixing that. Is this going to be an episode too? In this series? Oh, I, there's not enough to talk about on the tunnel. It does mm. cost too much, but I mean, I kind of understand why on that one yeah. because it has to go under a very large river and do this <laughs> weird grade thing, and also kind of connect up to another tunnel that they already have, which they also kind of have to double track. So. It's mm. it's kind of a mess, but I cannot, that one shouldn't cost that much either. Oh, yeah. The mountain tunnel is double track already. Is it? Yeah. I corrected that in the last episode. I don't think so. It is. It's in twin. Portland? It's twin bore. Or so says Wikipedia, at least. Then why does the station at the park only have one platform? I don't know. But Wikipedia so says that. So is the other is a tunnel a secret tunnel? tunnel? Secret <laughs> tunnel... Oh, now I want to see. Oh. There's two separate I am platforms. incorrect, and they look the same, so I thought they were the same one. You're right. Okay. I have been deceived. Huh. Okay. I bet this one wasn't cut and cover. It was It was very not cut and cover, but it also didn't cost that much because it only has one station in it. And it's also, <laughs> this tunnel is in a mountain, not under a city, which means there's nothing except just, like, uniform rock. Yeah. So mountain-based tunnels, maybe they're pretty based. Huh. Mm. You're funny. So yeah, um, that's that's the episode for today. I'm I am very congratulatory of all the advocates and people in Austin who worked for literally 20 years after getting you know shattered to get this thing built and passed. Yeah, I am very concerned about the costs because it is a setting a bad precedent for future transit expansion in Austin, and b it shouldn't be this way. You're getting a lot less than you should be for your money for what is primarily street running light rail. Here's hoping that the the people in charge of this project will... Can pull some engineering and financial magic to get it fixed. Yeah, and make some good decisions and do some good sticky politicky stuff to get the right things cut and the right things kept. Yeah, and when it's built, I'm sure we'll be there. Oh, yeah, we'll be there for <laughs> opening day. I mean, it's not going to open until 2030 in any case because it's still in preliminary design at this point, but... Well, if we're alive after the climate wars by then... <laughs> Well, it'll be the only way to get around after the climate wars, so... <laughs> oh, yeah, there we go. Because there will be no oil left because we'll burnt it all in the climate wars. There we go. <laughs> so hey, we'll have to electrify front row then, too. Sick. Nice. <laughs> Take us long enough. Um, so, yeah, that's the episode today. Thank you for listening. Please remember to like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube and to leave us a rating on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, we would love to hear your feedback on YouTube, so please do leave a comment, especially if you're from Austin and know things about this project that we do not. That would be wonderful because for all the research I did, I'm feeling like I'm missing some things for why it's costing so much, to be honest. Um, yeah. Hey, maybe the grade crossings are gold-plated. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I mean, why not? Yeah, seriously, why not? I mean... That would be pretty based, actually. I mean, around here, where do you have grade crossings that have the grade crossing and the stoplight, and the stoplight stops the cars before the grade crossing goes down, so nobody tries to race the gates <laughs> and stop on the tracks? Yeah, I know. So I bet if you gold-plated them, they'd be even more effective. Yeah. Uh, so our patrons at $20, slightly above frontrunner year, is Zach Adams. At frontrunner tier, $10 per month, we have Curtis Herring, Mike Christensen, and Phobos2390. At $5 a month, our red line tier, we have Brian Smith, Christopher Whaley, Jacob Whitecotton, and Robert P. Walsh. $3 blue line tier, we have Ben Busath, DJ Will Watkins, Ethan McDonald, and Martine Hecker-Martinez. 
Uh, thank you all for being patrons, and if you're not a patron, you should consider joining for exclusive content as well as early access to all of our episodes. Starting at a dollar a month. Starting at a dollar yeah. a month. That's mm-hmm. right. Nobody's done that one yet. No, yeah. everyone always goes for the three dollars for some reason. It's very nice of them. We appreciate yeah. it. So, anyway, bye. Bye.